This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly, and my favourite well-known person is right here with me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's not true. That well, like. Yeah, not that well-known. It's Giles Paley Phillips. Hey, Jim. How are you? Uh, feeling not very well-known. Uh, <laughs> You're very well-known. No, I don't think I need a Twitter way. That counts. Does it? It massively counts. I don't know if it does. I think it I does. I don't get stopped in the street or anything. But you get stopped online. On, yeah, online. <laughs> Doesn't make yeah. sense. No, that sounds weird. <laughs> that sounds very weird. Yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, how are you doing? We're, we're, we're well into February now. We are, we are. Um, I'm okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. January's behind us. January's behind us. February's nearly behind us. Yeah. We're getting on the God, way this, to... This year. Yeah, so it's zipping by. I mean, we sort of talked to this on the other pods. That yeah. But we've, we've been very busy podcasting, yeah. haven't we? We've yeah. Lots of amazing podcasts coming up. Today's. Today's today's is, is a, a big one. It is. It is. It is, Mister David, David Morrissey. Morrissey. Oh, I said it in time. <laughs> um, what a guest he was. I mean, oh, fantastic. Purely from if you start with his voice. Yeah, he I got mean, an amazing voice. Yeah, I know. I was just sitting there. I, there was many times. This happens quite often on the podcast. I sit there and I feel like I'm just kind of listening and not actually <laughs> interacting with the guest because <laughs> I'm so intrigued and yeah and. Uh, interested in what they're saying and it, very much so with david he's got a very obviously a very iconic sounding voice yeah and, and yeah, you can tell he's in a he's an actor he's an actor yeah, um, yeah. And, and he delves yeah. into a lot of you know a, a lot of 
personal things in this podcast, yeah. as a lot of our guests do. And uh, yeah, it was fascinating to, to was, hear from yeah. someone that experienced and that in the industry that long. Yeah, uh, yeah, fantastic. And I hope we hope you really enjoy it. So Absolutely, dive straight in. I think oh, I love that. And so here is uh, David Morrissey on the Blank Podcast. <laughs> Well, David Morrissey, thank you for coming on the Black Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's very nice to see you. Very salubrious uh, venue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite... Yeah, we've, we kind of came across this place, and they've been very kind to let us use it. Well, yeah. I've, I, I, we're in the Nordic bar, aren't we? And I, was, um, I saw quite a few Iceland games here. Oh, oh, so you've been here before? Yeah, I've been here before, because oh, yeah, okay. a friend of mine is a... Big Icelandic actor, and whenever he's in town, we come here. And oh, so you, oh, okay. And well, I bet the atmosphere, the atmosphere is pretty good. Great, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Were you doing the volcano clap and everything? Uh, yeah, I was sort of <laughs> sheepishly in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is. It's rammed in here when those are happening. Is it, yeah, because obviously we only come here on a Friday morning, <laughs> and it's always like mm, it's a bit sort of like slightly eerie. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool, and they've been after them, They've been really generous for us to use it. They've been lovely to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great venue. Um, so, David, you're you're a busy man. Yeah, I've just finished the second season of Britannia, which mm-hmm. is a Sky and Amazon Prime show. It's all about ancient Rome. Well, it's about Rome invading Britain. So, you know, forty three AD, and I play Aulus Pretorius, who is the head of the Roman army, and he is here to sort of put Rome's stamp on the country and he's fighting with the Druids and various tribes like that so uh, yeah I'm, I love it it's great so I've just wrapped on that and then I've just been around America for a while so yeah just very busy yeah <coughs> excuse me do you pre- do you prefer life when it's busy when you're city to city and, and you're constantly on the move do you need that buzz or do you prefer if it's a bit quieter a bit of both I mean I, I like quietness if it's my choice yeah so if it's if I'm choosing not to work and I'm choosing to have downtime then that's great if that's been enforced on me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I find that yeah. a little bit arse clenching really but uh yeah I'm I do like to be busy I like to have uh yeah my diary blank pages in my diary are sort of do freak me out a bit but Mostly, you know, if I do have, if I've made a decision, if I'm coming to, to the end of a really, really, diff, you know, long job and uh, tired and stuff like that, I will try to build in some time. Mm. My ideal is to finish a job and have like a month or six weeks before the next job starts. Yeah. Uh, but I know that that job's starting. Yeah. So I've got something to aim for so that the, this time in between is not wasted time. Because you need... You know, when you've been working hard and you, you know, in your job, you go all in, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and yeah. so you need that kind of recovery time. Yeah, you do. I mean, and also, the other, but to say for my job, you know, particularly on something like Britannia, which is a ensemble show, you know, I get downtime during the filming as well. Yeah. So I'm quite lucky in that way. Yeah. And what are you like in the, sorry to sort of double, and obviously no, this is no. a blank podcast, but you said blank pages, something I'm going to go straight into it. Yeah, yeah. What are you like in those blank times that are not cho- not your choice? Yeah, I get a little bit antsy. And so what I do is I tend to fill up that time with other stuff. So, you know, I do a lot of work for different charities and I, I will sort of do uh, stuff where I'm either reading plays for people or workshopping plays or, you know, workshopping scripts. I'm also a voiceover artist, so I have things like that. Um, so I can fill it with various stuff. Usually it's working for, I work for 
the UNHCR. I'm the Goodwill Ambassador here in the UK, so that's a refugee charity. Uh, I work for Reprieve, who are a fantastic human rights charity. I have a charity called The Bike Project, which is a, uh, a, a, I work for them, and they provide bikes for refugees here in London and other big cities and and buddy them up with people to show them around the best cycle ways oh, to great. get around yeah. town, which is really good. And then I also work for a great charity called The Felix Project, and they, they, they're a food-based charity, so they will go around you know, supermarkets and restaurants at the end of the day, and any food that hasn't been used, they'll take it. Mm. And then the next day they deliver it to hostels and, and, and drop-in centres around London. And they do great work as well. So when I'm not working as an actor or a director or a writer or whatever, I'm doing stuff like that. You keep yourself busy. You, you've got fingers in many pies. I th- I've always thought that, um, you know, I had a, a point in my early, late teens, early 20s when, you know, my, my dad had died when I was 15. My mum, you know, was not... Uh, she wasn't didn't earn a lot of money and I left Liverpool and I went to work in a place in in Wolverhampton in a theatre company there so I was about 16 and I remember having this epiphany of going this is up to me yeah this is up to me now I've got no one's going to help me out Mm. I don't come from a family with money so there's not going to be anybody I can phone up and say hey you know can you help me out yeah no favours it's going to have to be me yeah and that was really a depressing and, and frightening thought. But it did put a fire under my ass in some way. I didn't know then that I had to go out and find the work. My chosen profession was also a precarious one. But, you know, this we're talking about early to mid-80s when coming from Liverpool, every profession was precarious. I didn't have, I wasn't looking around me and all my friends were going into jobs for life. Mm. So choosing a precarious profession was, didn't make me abnormal in any way. Yeah. And so, but I liked then, you know, my brain is better when I'm working, when it's occupied, when it's not occupied. My my big thing about the the blank stuff is my brain, what it does, the voices getting louder, mm. the idea of depression kicking in. Mm. Uh, so the mental side of having nothing to occupy myself is is frightening. And I think there's a, there's a, if I'm honest, there's a bit of me that would like to go through that frightening bit to get to the other side. Mm. I don't know whether that's some sort of meditation course or anything mm. like that, but that initial panic, which for me can last for quite a, a long time, I'm sure if I did just clear my diaries and committed myself to inner peace, mm-hmm then I might be able to get through to the other side and, and find something else. Uh, I've not tried that yet. I, 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 it's sort of, as I get older, I sort of see that as an option. I've never seen that as an option in my life before. That would be an incredibly brave step, though, to do that. Yeah, it would, but maybe uh, from, a, you know, from a personal well-being, it might be a, a good thing to do. I'd like to have a bit of both. I mean, I do meditate and I do stuff like that. Uh, but yes, it's it's something that I've been toying with recently. But Be- it's, it's working out what works for you, though, isn't it? Because everyone's different, and everyone reacts to that kind of stuff differently. They do, and I've, I mean that. You know, it's that old hippie thing with, of which I've got a lot of time for. I'm not being disparaging of it. Of you know, do you uh, tune in or tune out? You know, it's that thing about is it you know switching off all those things? It's slightly negative 
connotations to that. Mm. But actually, it's probably from an enlightenment point of view a really good thing to do. So that actually, you're turning on that you're you know. Somebody once said to me, I was going through a terrible time recently, and uh, I was saying to somebody, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm holding on. And they said, well, why don't you try letting go? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, oh, well, yeah. that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, maybe there is a, a way of just falling yeah. and thinking, hey, what will happen, you know? But I do feel that I, I am sometimes on that hamster wheel, and I'm running to occupy my mind, not for financial gain. Mm. You know, it's just to occupy my mind. Do you think it's that memory from being 15, 16, coming back? Yeah, it's that you, around the, the that. feeling that you, you need to prove yourself or, you know. And, and Yes, and also I think, you know, I've always felt that being creative, being uh, engaged uh, brings me some sort of mental happiness and stability. Mm. Yeah. Being of use, yeah. you know. Somebody said, you know, if you want to be, if you want some self-esteem, do something estimable, and it's yeah. that thing of yeah. stepping into the world and yeah. turning up. But again, that can be, you know, you can get that wrong sometimes. Sometimes that can start running you, and you have to be aware of yourself and listen to yourself. And you know, there are times when I've looked at my diary and I'm doing stuff and I think, when am I going to see my kids? Yeah. yeah. You know, or, yeah. you know, when am I going to just spend some time with my wife? When am I yeah. going to relax? You know, and I have to be careful about that. Um, and actually, if I'm honest, I was never careful about that. So, you know, there's things that uh, it runs me sometimes. But, uh, yeah, that space, that inner space of just... Um, I guess you could call it relaxing, but having time to yourself, going inward. Mm. I've always been slightly uh, worried about that, wary of it, I think. But uh, as I get older, I'm, I'm, I'm more accepting of it. Really. It's interesting, isn't it, that we learn these things. We never stop learning them. You know, the older we get, we maybe might get to know ourselves a bit better but we never stop learning about what helps improve us no and you know it's it's from a it has to be a daily routine that's why all the big religions of the world have you know a morning and evening prayers because they they are about you know getting up and yeah. resetting yourself yeah. or having gratitude or you know giving thanks you know i mean i don't believe in god so but i can i believe in 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 the human spirit, I yeah. believe in other yeah. stuff. So yeah. you know, I, I do check in with myself about that, and I certainly believe, you know, in a cosmic way, why we're all here, and you know, yeah. things like that, and how we a transience of life and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's, but it's important, I think. Certainly, when I get up in the morning, I do a routine which is about just resetting myself and making sure that the the thoughts of the night. I'm going to kick me into my day. Mm. The worst time for me, I think, is is evening time. I think that time of, you know, when I've either turned my telly or my computer off when I get in bed, and then my brain starts sort of, it's a very, it's a, it's a very troublesome neighborhood, my brain at night. You know, I shouldn't go there alone. And I do sort of, I can tick into that. Do you have put? Do you have sleeping issues? Because I think a lot of... I, I, I have sleeping issues, and I've spoken to other actors that have had yeah, you know, have I sleeping ha issues. I have sleeping issues. Um, mainly, <laughs> I have waking issues. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, my yeah. thing is... And also, you know, there is a bit of all this that is about trying to fend off the stigma of laziness. 
I've never wanted people to feel that I was lazy or work shy yeah. or you know and I don't know where that comes from it might come from parents or my neighborhood or whatever but I never wanted people to to be able to levy the accusation of me that I was work shy or lazy and so that drives me but that's a bit of a demon I have as yeah. well that I'm working against because I don't want anybody ever to say that of me um and and you know the bottom the other bottom line of all this is I enjoy it I love working mm. I love uh, the the um, collective experience I couldn't that's what's interesting about you know as a writer you know mm. I I would find that difficult I would find that difficult of uh, you know um, my ex wife was a, a writer so you know I saw the discipline the self discipline yeah. mm. that that needed I'm a collaborative artist I need other people around me. And that's the, the first, that's both the wonderful thing and the frustrating thing about being an actor because it's not like being a writer or a musician. I can't go to my bedroom and pr- I mean, I can do my speeches and read my Shakespeare mm. or whatever, but I need an audience. Yeah. I need an audience to be able to gauge how I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, and that can be on a film set or it can be on, on stage. But I need uh, external forces, external influences that I can ba- bounce off. I don't have to listen to those influences. I mean, I might want to actually in my work uh, piss them off. I might yeah, actually sure, want yeah. to be provocative with yeah, that, yeah, those yeah. influences, but I need them in some way. Mm. I'm not someone in my bedroom who's, and I'm not saying that writers or musicians do this, but I can't exercise my craft unless I have an audience there. That's what's really essential to me. Yeah. Uh, and I like the collaboration of my work. I really do. I mean, that's there's a good reason I've never done a one man show. You know, I, I like being with other creative people. So you'd never want to do a one man show. That's not something you want to no, do. No, you know, I really love being in a company. I really mm-hmm. love being with a group of actors, and I love. It's. I mean, again, there's there's two sides to this. In my profession, I go to a job and I get an immediate family. You yeah. get a family who, uh, you know, I find out everything about them. I have my breakfast, my dinner, and my, you know, my lunch and my dinner with them. I have my whole sort of day with them. I sort of create with them. And that's very tight very quickly. Yeah. And then they all go off. And, you know, no matter how much you say, hey, let's stay in touch, you very rarely do. You know, you mm. sort of do every now and again. But then you get another family mm. and you get you get everything about them. And that is wonderful, but it also is, it's difficult because it's transitory. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not really of substance. Mm. Uh, it has some substance along the way, but it is, it can play tricks on you, you know. And uh, it certainly played tricks on me. And that, energy with working with an audience and other people is really infectious isn't it yeah which you don't really get working on your own that that idea of that connection to an audience or to a company as well yes and also it's the ascent it's the essence of what you're doing so creatively you're you know you're telling a story and it's only until you're in the arena of the storytelling that you can see if it's working or not Mm. and that's what i love about theater is no matter where you do it you know the audience is always different yeah. And the worst thing you can do as an actor is try to recreate what happened last night. You have to create what's happening tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I love that. Yeah. And likewise on a film set, you know, you're you're, perf- you're not performing for an audience so much, but you're playing with your performance with other actors. And different takes are different. Things are different. You're playing with a director who's looking at you. That's your audience, really. 
and uh, and that is the creative hub of what you're doing, you know. And I and I love that, and I love the ownership of it. You know, I quite often not argue with directors, but I will have heated discussions with directors about things like what do they want for the scene mm. might not be what I want from the scene, and the writer will be there as well, and you can have those discussions, you know. And I like that as long as they're creative and they don't become personal, which sometimes they can do. Mm. But I love that idea and of what are we trying to achieve here? Sometimes you'll get a script and you think, I've seen this so many times on the telly. Yeah. You know, I've seen it. It's been done to death. It's the same thing. How can we make it different? And that might be a discussion with the writer, which would be good. Uh, but sometimes you're, you're, you're needing to do it for yourself. And in the end, you know, this is contrary to what I've just said completely, <laughs> is... <laughs> Is the audience is there? That's fine, and you need to play with that. Yeah. But in the end, I'm not really doing it for them. Yeah. I'm doing it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like how do I feel? What am I trying to achieve? Yeah. So the audience is secondary. In theatre, it's different. The audience are there, and that's fine. But you're doing it, and you're playing with it, and it's important that you they they're they're there, and you can hear them, and see them, and, and feel them. But you're challenging yourself. In film and television, for me, increasingly now as I get older. The end product of what I do is the least interesting thing. It's like when I go to screenings of my work, it's sort of the least interesting bit mm. because it's, it's slightly got nothing to do with me from now on. Mm. I can't influence it. It's what the director has done and the producers have done. Do you, not watch, do you not watch a screening back and think, like, oh, I was really good in that, or, or, or that's come out really nicely? What, I watch what it now. Yes, yeah, so I watch it now and I think, great, that's really good. That's, that's a sense of achievement, or, yeah. or that, they've cut that interestingly, or I wasn't, you know, that wasn't so good, or whatever. I can do those things. But, but it's I'm, more the process of the moment. Being in yeah. the moment, the actual yeah. doing of it is what I want, is why yeah. I'm there. You know, I've done lots of things in with jobs where the particularly in film and television, where the process of filming has been different, like improvisation or whatever. And I've really loved the process. And then I've watched them, and they've been okay. Yeah. But that's it's sort of got nothing to do with me, that stuff. What's happening here and now in the day and the performances, and that's why theatre is great sometimes. You know, it's what's happening to me now. Yeah. And, and sometimes you'll... The really wonderful thing about theatre is you sometimes you'll get on stage... And the actor who you're working with, he or she will suddenly do something different and you go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you might hit a wall yeah. very quickly and have mm. to go back. But sometimes you'll start, what's going on there? I don't know what's going on. And I love that. I love that sense of adventure. And also, you know, that sense that um, th this idea of failure is, is bogus. You know, the, all the great stuff comes from preparing to fall flat on your face. You know, that's... You, you don't... You do, you don't Get, you don't get fearful about that then yeah I, get, I don't get mm. fearful is the wrong word I get I get nervous and yeah. if I'm ever doing a job where I'm not nervous something is wrong yeah absolutely okay. if I don't you, feel yeah. it in my gut yeah if I don't if there's no risk then why am I doing it yeah you know and sometimes it's fine sometimes you might say I'm doing it because I'm earning a lot of money mm. fine <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. that's fair enough yeah, there are the, I, I don't are want to make rewards, a profession yeah. out of that I, said, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't become an actor for that. Yeah, yeah. And so there's an element all the time that I'm looking for of uh, where I'm shitting myself and thinking, okay, yeah. what's at risk here? What's at stake? Uh, you know, you do put yourself on the line. You know, you are you're going out to be judged in a way, and that's what I mean about that's 
thing of coming back to yourself and saying, what do I feel? What am I trying to achieve? What do I want to see in mm. this job? Um, and that's very exciting for me. And I'm very lucky and very grateful that I can uh, inhabit that space, really. Winding it back a bit, what, why was it acting particularly that, that you were drawn to? So when I was at junior school, you know, I was just a kid and I had a, there was a teacher there who was very passionate about drama and they did different shows. And they did a show, they did The Wizard of Oz one Christmas and I played the Scarecrow. And That's the best role, I think. It's great. And I got, you know, and I got on stage. And a lot of my mates were good at football or whatever. Sure. And I got on stage and I, I, lo- I just loved it. I just realized that we did something like four performances. And on the first performance, I realized that people were laughing and they, they responded to me in a way that was really interesting. But also over the four performances, I learned that I could manipulate the audience, that I had them in my hand. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they would laugh at stuff and then I'd try something the next night and they didn't laugh so much at that, but they laughed. And I was, sure, yeah, yeah. I was playing with yeah. those levels even then. And then I failed the 11 plus and I went to a secondary modern school in Liverpool and they didn't do drama at all um, and it was quite a you know, it was a very challenging school in the sense that you know it was a bit like I've often said it's like that school in Cares you know that's it was, it was that okay, type yeah, of environment yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah you were in a Ken Loach film yeah very, <laughs> although you know there was lots yeah. of great stuff about it yeah. but education wasn't one of them yeah. and yeah. Um, <laughs> and I got to a point sort of when I was about 14 I think 14 getting off of 15 when I thought and this sounds terrible, but it's true, where I thought to myself, when was I last really happy? When was I last, you know, really in a good spot? And it was when I was doing uh, The Wizard of Oz. So then I thought, I'd like to get back to that. I'd like to get back to that place. And so I did this weird thing of everybody I met. I just said, hi, I'm David, and I'm, I'm going to be an actor. And wow. um, the really wonderful thing about growing up in Liverpool was it it was it's a city that takes the arts seriously that you know nobody was saying you know you've got ideas above your station yeah. or who the, who the hell do you think you are they were encouraging you know and one guy i met he uh it my it was my cousin actually he was going out with a woman who worked at the local theater the everyman theater and he said oh you should go down there they've got a youth theater and I went down there and uh, I joined the youth theatre and that's when I started to find my voice, really. And, you know, it's no, you know, it's no strange thing that actually finding this youth theatre, ex- experiencing this collective energy, you know, uh, being able to find my voice and express myself. When I went back to my schooling, it improved. You know, I, I wasn't this guy sort of just messing about anymore I sort of had an energy and a different yeah yeah I was curious purpose, yeah I yeah purpose yeah. and I and I had a curiosity about life which is what uh, the the youth theater gave me and I, and I think that very much about our education system is that you know in the state's education system I think it's a disgrace that things like art music drama are seen as soft options oh, yeah. that actually that idea of developing empathetic skills and performance yeah. skills yeah. that we're not they're not encouraged in us you know and i think that's why where great good citizenship comes out of the arts in that way yeah. and an appreciation of it and that's a really healthy place and i and i was an example of that in the sense that when i found 
the youth theatre on my own bat, I took that back into my education and it improved. You know, because I was challenging the teachers and saying, hey, we should be doing this. We should yeah. be doing some Shakespeare or we should go be going to the theatre, you know, things like that. And uh, at the youth theatre, uh, it was affiliated with the Everyman Theatre, which was at that time had a fantastic company. You know, there's people like Pete Pothelswaite there, Jimmy oh, right, Walters, yeah, so yeah, all yeah, those yeah. people. Wow. And again, you know, I bothered those people. I would yeah. go up to them and say, hey, I want to be an actor. And none of them told me where to go. You know, they all said to me, okay, what are you doing about it, you know? Yeah. And then I left Liverpool when I was about 16 and I went to work in a theatre company in Wolverhampton. And basically there I didn't do that much acting. It was all set making and prop making and stuff like that, which was very valuable. But that was when I lived on my own. And that was the moment where I said it's so up to me. At a young age. Yeah, yeah. My dad had died when I was 15, mm. so I left when I was 16. And that was when I, that's when I had the epiphany of going, you know, oh my God, this is up to me. I've got mm. to make this work. Yeah. No one's going to look after me. And I was doing, you know, drama. And that's how I was able to make myself a living was by acting or prop making or, you know, mm. being with a company of actors, grown up actors. Well, I was, was going to sort of say, but you obviously did that when you were that, not having a family around you. And now, mm. you you know, you're sort of saying that you get that family feeling. Now yeah, doing, always. You kind of had that but acting and being in a company filled in those gaps at that point. Totally you, did. And, and, yeah, and to continues to now. Yeah, it really did. And I got down then, I had to look after myself, I had to cook for myself, wash for myself, you know, wash my own clothes, do all that stuff. And I managed to do it. You know, yeah. In my own fashion. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my ironing was not great. Yeah, I still say. yeah but yeah. it was still there. Uh, you know, the fact you were ironing. The, the, fact, <laughs> the fact that I could go into a laundrette was the, the, the best thing. But oh, then, yeah. and then whilst I was in... Wolverhampton, my best friend, who's a, an actor called Ian Hart. Oh, he was called Ian Davis at the time, but he's an actor called Ian Hart now. He uh, he told me about this thing that was happening in Liverpool, which was they were casting for a TV show called One Summer. And that was about two Scouse lads who ran away to Wales. Yeah. And uh, That was the early 80s. Was that so that was about 81, 82. Yeah. And I came back to Liverpool and I auditioned and it was, it was a series of auditions which seemed to go on forever. And at the end of it, I was cast as the lead. And so I went to work, and that taught me everything. I was uh, directed by a guy called Gordon Fleming, who was, you know, he'd done big, big movies. He was this Glaswegian guy, no messing about. You know, he <laughs> he really was very regimented in what he needed for us. And that taught me a lot. And the main, we were the, it was myself and a guy called Spencer Lee were the young actors. And the main adult actor was a guy called James Hazeldean who's sadly no longer with us, but he again took us under his wing and, and sort of gave us a discipline and gave us a training, really. He gave us a TV training, but then became a lifelong friend and, you know, would take me to the theatre. You know, from him, I decided to go to drama school. I auditioned for drama school. I got into RADA, and that was via his encouragement. And then that was me coming to London and making my way in the world, you know. So... That's that was the big break for me was one summer. Yeah. I love this idea that you, you've you've mentioned already a few examples of encouragement that you had yeah, yeah. from people, and I think that's massive. Whether it's a teacher or a yeah. colleague or something, we've had other actors on this pod say a similar thing. There was you know one particular drama teacher or one, yeah. someone that believed in me, yeah. and I think people underestimate how big. 
that can be because that that propelled you on to then really go on your own and, and do your thing and be the success you are it did but even before then and I've often said this coming from Liverpool there is a sense in Liverpool that being a performer is nothing to be sneezed at you know it's not seen as a second class thing do you think that's the case elsewhere then uh, from my experience of talking to other actors, it, it, it can be certainly for actors from a working class background. That it's and and sometimes this this comes from a very loving place that you know you're going into a profession that yeah. is not you know it's not an easy place to be. It's not so it, it's from a caring uh, sensibility. Mm. And as I say, one of the great things I had in Liverpool, which was a terrible thing in retrospect, was that the unemployment was so rife. Mm that nobody could warn me about the insecurities of the profession I'd chosen because that was it. But also, even mates of mine who were like, you know, tough, hard guys, when I said to them, I'm going to be an actor, their only question was, why don't you be in a band? (laughs) Because that's what everybody did. It wasn't seen as uh, effeminate in any way or whatever. You know, they, they saw it for what it was. And when I went to the youth theater and, and, and sort of, we would do theatre around Liverpool, wherever we took it. The only th- the pressure we had was you better be good. Yeah. Because yeah. our audience was full of people who could, you know, tell you a story and tell you a joke. You know, the idea of performance in the pub or, you know, getting up and telling jokes is part of my culture. Yeah. Mm. So if you're going to get up there, you better be good. Yeah. You know, you better entertain. So that sort of pressure was uh, was really great for me. So, mm. it, And then there were people, you know, the guy who ran the youth theatre was a wonderful man called Roger Hill. But I have to say, you know, lots of people were encouraging to me. It was taken seriously by many, many people. Like the first show that we did in the youth theatre was reviewed by the local paper. And he, he went for it. You know, he said, this is good, but this isn't very good. That's, you know, wow. they need to work on this. He wasn't giving us any sort of, oh, isn't it nice these kids sort of doing a little play. He actually <laughs> yeah. gave a constructive, yeah. and at the end, there was a really positive piece of writing that he said, you know, what what they're doing here is so really wonderful and inventive. But, you know, there was constructive in, in criticism in that. And I was really appreciative of that. Yeah. And that's my city, I think, you know. It's a shame because they must be, talented actors from elsewhere in the country who maybe n- never get the chance to go into it because they don't get the encouragement maybe or, or give up at an early age which is yeah. a real shame it's true I mean I have to say though the other thing that, you know there was lots of t- there was lots of things that knocked me as well there's a part of being an actor or any profession where or any creative profession where there's a point where you don't have a choice that you've just got to do it. It's compulsion. It's compulsion. Yeah, you've yeah. just got to do that. it. Totally know that. It's not, you know, it's... you can. People can tell you that you're not very good or, you know, you're being silly choosing this profession or, you know, your last production was really bad. But if it's what you've got to do, it's what you've got to do. Mm. You, and you can go a long way. I've seen actors go a long way on rejection before they either break it and go and become successful or they eventually say, you know what, I've got three kids now and I'm 47, I better sort of get it <laughs> yeah, You know, there's yeah, that, yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. type of thing. Uh, but I really never felt I had a choice. And also, you know, it is an education thing. You know, I, was, I, I wasn't academic. I hated school. It, it didn't like me very much. It was, it was, I didn't walk out of school with an idea that I had an academic ability to go into other professions. I had no, I had an O level in history. 
I didn't have anything else. And I'd slightly done this thing, which in retrospect was brilliant, but I would be very cautious of letting my kids do this, is I put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. And this had to work. If this didn't work, I didn't know what I was going to do. And the thing about having all your eggs in one basket is you, <laughs> very ca- focused, you, you, you carry it very <laughs> yeah, carefully. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not frivolous with it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was that sense of me going, this has to work. Because yeah. I, 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 I'm fending for myself. No one else is going to look after me. So I have to make this work. That's a heavy burden at times, isn't it? And yeah. And you were very young as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Young it's to be really, young. really heavy. And, uh, and brought, brought with it a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of introspection mm. and a lot of um, serious stuff. You know, the, I don't think I would ever be described then or now as a frivolous person. You know, so it did have it did take its toll on me emotionally, and still does. I still carry that. But um, yeah, that's where I came out of. But do you use it now? Do you think a bit more within you, your work? What do you mean? Well, like having that. Um, you were saying about like the drive and stuff. Mm. Do you think that is propelling you still? Yeah, very much. Yeah. I still have it. Yeah, I mean, and now you know what I do now is obviously acting, but I produce and direct and stuff, and so I've broadened that out. But um, yeah, I do still have it. I still have it about where I want to achieve as an actor, what I want to do, the parts I want to play, uh, the people I want to work with, the arenas I'd like to work in. Um, yeah, I still have that drive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing about acting, the great thing is that you never retire. Yeah. But the other thing that is always true is that the and, and I've seen this happen to many actors is there's a certain you can it can suddenly drop you. You can suddenly you know so you don't rest on any of your mm. laurels because you know the old maxim that you're only as good as your last yeah, job. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's not totally true, but it does have a, a resonance to it. And uh, and I like that. I mean, even if that's not true, I, I sort of tell myself it's true because that does drive me. I must like the insecurity of my profession because if I didn't like it, I would do something Damn, else. Yeah. But it does, it is hard, but it does drive me as well. And so after that first show, what, what, where did things go from that? So I did one summer and uh, and then I took the money from that and I went traveling. I worked for a bit afterwards, just bar work and stuff. And then after a while, I thought, okay, I'm going to go away. And I, I traveled around the world a bit with the money that I got. And I ended up in Africa. <clears throat> and I was in Nairobi. And I was in a cafe in Nairobi. Having a cup of coffee. And there was an English couple sitting opposite me. And the guy was reading the, the Times. And he turned the paper over like that. And he was reading one page. And he turned it over. And there was a picture of me on the, on the, on the, on the side <laughs> of the paper. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was a review for one summer, yeah. and it had come out. Yeah. And I, I said, oh, can I do I know play? And it was a really good review. Nice. So I thought, I better get home. <laughs> yeah. So I came home, and I uh, got to Heathrow, which was fine. Got to Euston, and then waiting for the train to Lime Street in Liverpool, and quite a few people were looking at me in a way that they hadn't looked at me before. And I was like, that's interesting. I got on the train, and some people were looking at me in a really inquisitive way <laughs> then I got out of Lime Street and I got in a cab and the guy goes oh my god you're on the telly 
and all that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then he made me sign something for an autograph, which was the first autograph. Then he drove me to my mum's, and my mum was like, the phone hasn't stopped ringing. You know, wow. So that was really started to be very, very uh, big then. And that was the first screening of it. And I'd before I'd gone travelling, I'd auditioned and I got into RADA. And I'd gone travelling before I went. And I had a bit of time to sort of get my stuff together before I went down to London. And I got down to RADA and uh, it was wonderful. It was great, you know, because I was walking into drama school and people knew who I was. Yeah. They'd seen me on the telly. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd come to London. I had to fend for myself here. I had a grant, but it wasn't very good. So I worked as well as being in college. And I did, it was about two and a half years there. And this really wonderful thing happened was just as I was about to leave drama school, they repeated one summer. And I got a repeat check. So I got, nice. a, so I got residuals. <laughs> just came at the right time. So, yeah, just, really. so I walked out into the world with like, you know, two grand in my pocket or something. Yeah. And that was like just unbelievable. Yeah. And then I did theatre for the first four or five years. I did the regional theatre and then I went to the RSC and then I went to the National. And I loved it all. Even though the National was creatively not a wonderful experience, I loved being in the building. Mm. Uh, the RSC was a brilliantly both successful creatively and, and brilliant to be in. The, in was theatre always something you wanted to do? I mean, bearing in mind you'd done, like a, you'd obviously had a, a success with an on-screen Yeah, I, it was, it? I always felt that theatre, I was a little bit... The one thing I knew was I, I got my first renown through playing a Scouse lad. And I didn't want to do that. Brookside yeah. had just happened. Brookside had just come on, and there was, you know, there was lots of parts. In sure, that. yeah. And I just didn't want to be in a in a long running soap. I didn't want to play a scouse lad. And I had a real desire to do Shakespeare. I'd never done it at school. It was sort of a bit of a bolshy thing because I felt that people thought I couldn't do it. I felt that people thought it wasn't for me. I hadn't done well at school. I had no academic mm. qualifications. And anything I'd done with Shakespeare was off my own bat, you know, reading it and stuff. And then uh, during my um, time, rather we'd done some Shakespeare, and I'd really enjoyed it. And to my surprise, I understood it. I was expecting not to understand it. Yeah. And as I read it, I thought, I get this. You know, sure, I had to go to uh, my dictionary every now and again, <laughs> and certainly to my Shakespeare dictionary, mm. which I still do now. Yeah. But it spoke to you in a way. But from yeah. a story, character, love, loss, all those things, I, I got it. And that, that was a real revelation to me. And not only did I get, I get it, but when, when I was performing it, I just loved it. I loved the... It was like... You know, it was like being in a boxing match or something. It, there was something inside there that was so challenging, but so enlivening, and really sort of, um, yeah, put you on top of the world, really, and 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 also spoke to me emotionally mm. and poetically, you know. And so when I left uh, drama school, I wanted to do theatre, but I wanted to go to the RSC and the National, and and I got my ambition by going to the. RSC and I played uh, I was the, the the bastard Falconbridge in King John directed by Deborah Warner and that was just a, an amazing experience it was just you know it was brilliantly reviewed it was uh, fantastic it was the show everybody wanted to see mm. in that season we were packed out I'd turn around and be like 
Peggy Ashcroft in the front wow. row. Yeah. You know, there'd be like you know Ian McKellen was with that. You know, wow. so we yeah. were performing to people who were great Shakespeare, yeah, sure, who yeah. would come up to me afterwards and say, "Congratulations, that was wonderful." And I was like, "Wow." How old are you at this point? So, so then I'm about twenty one. Yeah, so it's still really young. Quite yeah. quickly so it's all happened yeah. really quickly. And then, uh, and also Stratford is a very special place in the sense that many, many academics come through that place, but also punters, you know. And it's a wonderful uh, place to work. It really I've is. I've done stand-up in the bar there, so I think we can yeah. all agree. Well, all, done, all, the well, greats, all the greats go there. Yeah, well, there. So I've done yeah. a book festival there, there we as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we're all there. We're yeah. all there. Yeah. No, there is something special about that yeah. place, especially when you walk through the town, you see the old buildings and everything. But as you're, when you're yeah. part of the company, then, yeah, sure, yeah. you know, if it feels like you're at the centre of a Shakespeare universe, yeah. you know, and that's what the great thing is. And then I left there and I immediately went to the National. I did Pierre Ginther, which was... That went down like a fart in a spacesuit. Oh, okay. It just wasn't <laughs> great. We were in the Olivier, uh, which seats about 2,000 people, really, and we were playing to a couple of hundred most of the time. And how did that feel? Because obviously, you'd have, at that point, you'd, you'd done some very successful It felt, it it felt it, really it, devastating. Yeah. It felt devastating, and it felt exposing. Uh, but like all things in my life, I learned more from that experience than I did from any of the successful stuff, the, the stuff that just was successful yeah, straight sure, on. Yeah, yeah. You know, those, the moments where you think, oh, I'm lost here, or yeah. I'm really being a... And so during the run, we got terrible reviews. The director was so devastated, we never saw him again. And so we were left to do it, you know, ourselves. And in that run of doing it ourselves, I started to discover play that I could actually play with this for myself. Mm. The audience were there, that was fine. But actually what I was doing on stage for myself, the challenging stuff of myself, the changing stuff, that was, you know, I could come away really enlivened and up about that and, and enriched by it. And not just what I was doing, but what other actors were doing. We would start to play with it in a really wonderful way. And, uh, and I got so much from that. And... and and, you know, I often say to young actors now, you know, when they ask me for any advice, I say, look, rejection is everything that this business yeah. is about. You know, you, you're always getting rejected. If you don't like people saying no to you or ridiculing you or, you know, rejecting you or bad reviews, you better go off and be a dentist or, you know, be an <laughs> accountant. But this, yeah, yeah. this is about rolling with the punches and putting yourself up there and exposing yourself Sometimes physically, <laughs> uh, as often has been the case of mine. But, um, you know, yeah. absolutely showing your ass in public and going, hey, you know, tell me what you think. <laughs> and, it, and it is that, you know, there's a bravery and a stupidity around yeah. all that. Yeah. But I wouldn't have it any other way. And when it's gone, well, I was going to say when it's gone bad, but when it's not been well received by the public or the critics that actually has been my most valuable time as an actor that's where my periods of growth have been best yeah that's my fertile place oh okay is yeah, when yeah. suddenly i get knocked because it's not the other thing it's not the blank no. it's not the place where you go i'm not being creative and nobody's listening to me i'm in mm. a prison cell here it's not that it's actually you are performing you are exercising your craft you are doing something 
and you're learning from it because you know people don't like it. there's a bad smell around you think great i've just got to go through this and go through it and actually make it my own and uh, i think all artists have that i think they really do that you know you look at people like um you look at people like lenny bruce who you know genius mm. and then started to do stuff for himself and people are like, oh we don't like that but he was doing it, he was doing yeah. it, doing it. i was yeah. recently talking to someone about uh, about Liverpool actually and they were talking about how people loved Liverpool in the 60s and, and didn't like them in the 80s and I was like well I don't buy this thing that they liked us in the 60s the whole thing about the Beatles is a case in point you know they were fine whilst they were the mop tops yeah. and they were doing their pop songs and they were making us laugh but as soon as they yes. saw you saw the real people yeah. Yeah. who had political opinions yeah. who you know would tell you what they thought uh, then we were like, "Can you get back in your box?" Yeah, you know, and and that that yeah, to me want, is yeah. We want. I want to hold your hand. We don't want. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, don't no. want Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, and we don't want to know <laughs> yeah. that you're bigger than Jesus. Yeah, 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 and we don't want you sitting in a bed asking for peace. Yeah, you know, and that for me is like a really great. And Bowie talks about it all the time. Is that sense of like those places where you're suddenly so concerned about what the audience will think about what you're doing is creative death. Yeah, it's absolutely mm. creative. As soon as you're yeah. in a project and you think, "Well, will they like this?" You think, "Fuck them." Do yeah, I yeah, like it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. You know, it is that thing of build it and they will come. It's it's uh, it's about your. Why are you challenging yourself? Why are you getting out of bed? Why are you uh, performing? And if they don't like it, that's up to them. You've got to, you know. Yeah, yeah. And to you know it. as well when you're doing something that you're doing for someone else or an audience yeah. you know when you're doing something that you're not 100% invested in yeah and absolutely. it sucks it, doesn't, it does. doesn't feel the same it does and that, and you know that happens in all professions I always love that this great Neil Young thing where he went and this is probably wrong but I think he went from uh, CBS Records to Warner Brothers or something like that yeah and the contract was massive and he got a load of money and he went from one record company to the other and what he did was he produced his first big electric album and they came to him and they said, no, no, this, we don't want this. And he went, well, that's my album. He said, yeah, but this isn't the Neil Young we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he went, yeah, but that's the Neil, Neil Young, Young you've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, we've bought the wrong Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that, that he did it. And I also love the fact that when he toured that album, everybody was booing him. They hated it. Oh, this was recently, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't this it? was yeah. recently. So yeah, recently, yeah. that was, that was wow. ages ago. But yeah. recently he toured an album which nobody liked. Yeah. And he got to New York and every, the... the you know, the news had gone out that he played in this new album and everybody hated it. And he got on stage and he said, and people were sort of booing and stuff. And he said, listen, can I just tell you, you will hear things tonight that you've heard before, but I'm going to start with the new album. So please just sit back and listen to it. So they relaxed and they listened to it. Yeah. And he played the entire new album and then he played it again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I just went, yeah, that's it. And, you oh, know, yeah. you have every right to do that. Oh, I love that. And yeah. that, that for me is like, why, why you're, you're doing this? Like, <laughs> I love and then I think, <laughs> I think the other thing is, you then have to gauge your own sort of, you know, um, sort of button, which is about where you, you sort of disappear up your own ass slightly. You know, you have to be you have to make sure that you're not being self-indulgent sure. yeah, so you yeah. think well where am I so that's your own gauge then you're thinking well yeah. I, I quite like that but am I going into self-indulgence yeah, here Do yeah. I and those levels am I going to am I becoming too sentimental is that too sentimental is this that's creativity mm. 
that's your own creativity all the time. And I like that place. But as soon as I think, am I being too over-sentimental because the audience won't like this? That's a different thing. Do I like it? Am I being too self-indulgent for an audience that'll switch them off? Or am I being too self-indulgent for myself? Isn't this, is this a level I don't like? They're, they're very different things. But with that becomes a, be- a self-belief to be able to listen to what you're, you're telling yourself and go with it and, rather than fight it. It is, but also you have that. The only, the only time I can have that, though, is when I'm doing it. Yeah. I often go to the theatre. I go to the theatre a lot and cinema or whatever. And I watch actors who I know and love, and I think, I don't know how you do that. I could never do that. How do you learn all those lines? You know, things like that. And I sit there and I watch guys I know who are friends of mine, you know, guys and women who I know, and I am marveled by what they create. And I go, I don't know how you do that. And I don't know how I do it until I get into the room and start doing it. Yeah. I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, I would do that differently. Or I, I actually do love seeing great work mm. i love seeing great actors it really i love the benchmark going higher because it means i have to work mm. it's like a sporting analogy you know it's that thing of you know you're only as good as the team above you in a way that you've got to mm. you've got to chase them mm. and i love that it really fuels me but i do i'm i'm always marveled by other actors i love that idea of like you see something you respect and you like and then you don't know how they do it and then you do it like I find that on football sometimes on Sundays, and my very limited Sunday <laughs> league journeyman, 34 year journey. <laughs> but like in the past, I've done something with the ball sometimes, and a few seconds later, I thought, I don't, I don't know how I did that, but yeah, I just yeah. did it. I yeah, just, yeah. You were just in the, in the motion, and it just happened. But also for me, I look at performances at times, particularly in the theatre, and this sounds like it's a load of wank, and it's not, <laughs> is I look at them and I think, he's in my profession, she's in my profession, that's my job. Yeah. And I feel very privileged to be mm. in that profession. Mm. I look at people performing brilliantly and I think, that's my job. I do that. And how lucky am I to be in that? Yeah, but and, also, I, and also, you're at, the top, you're at the top of this. Yeah, and I look at it. Mm. But I do, I'm, that idea of inspiration, yeah. that idea of pushing, you know, artists do it a lot. I mean, one of the great things on The Walking Dead, which is the show I do in the States, the guy who, one of our directors and one of my, our main uh, producers is a guy called Greg Nakatero. And he is, he's known for this makeup, really. He does all the zombie makeup. He's now a big director as well. So he does all Quentin Tarantino's makeup and stuff like that. And he has a team of guys who look like a Led Zeppelin tribute. <laughs> <laughs> and they're great guys. And they do all the makeup. It's a yeah. very masculine world, funny enough, that yeah. type of makeup. But what they do is they watch other stuff. So they'll watch other zombie stuff or they'll watch other sort of stuff. And if they see something they like, they will write to those that artist and say, that was brilliant. And they get letters back themselves saying, that, thanks for that. And we love that bit on episode five of season four where you did this. Fantastic. I haven't brilliant. seen that done before. They, there's a world around them that is about encouraging everybody. Yeah. But also, you know, they know that the eyes of their profession is on them when they step out and do their own stuff. And that is really, really uh, creatively brilliant. You does know, that happen in acting? It does. Sometimes it does. It does. I think so, yeah. I think it does in... It depends who you surround yourself with. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying I don't suffer from jealousy. I do. Well, it's, yeah, I was going to ask you that. Because, yeah. you know, I can imagine sometimes, like, we you know, you read books or you see a stand-up that you, or, you know, you're watching things and think, oh, that, 
I, I, I do suffer. For, I do do that. Yeah. I, I, I can so do that. I do look at actors yeah. who you know are, are brilliant and doing stuff and thinking, God, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish mm. I, I was doing that thing. What I don't do, and I think some creatives do this, is I don't watch an actor perform and think, well, what's the point? What's the point? I'm not going to do it. You know, I know people who read books that are brilliant or listening to music that's brilliant and think, well, oh, God, do I want to write another book and put that into the world? Mm. I'm never going to yeah. be as good as him. I'm never going to be as good as her. I don't suffer from that. What I, su- what I do suffer from is I do get envious of people uh, that they got to play that role. Yeah. And sometimes I get offered a role yeah. and I'll look at it and I'll think, this is really inconvenient for me at the moment in my life or I'm not sure about this. And what I do is I ask myself the question, of what would it feel like for me to watch such and such a person in this role? Yeah. I've got to do it. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I cast it myself with one of my people in my age range, in my sort of uh, dynamic, whatever it is, uh, uh, I think if I look at that actor and I think, <laughs> No, that would kill me, that. Is there a go-to yeah. actor, though? I have a few, yeah. And they change, you know. I have a few, yeah. and they change, and they, yeah. I'm sure I'm on a couple of lists as well. Yeah, they are. And, yeah. and, and a big majority of them are good mates of mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's good. You yeah. know, that fuels me. That drives me. And, but I never let it eat me. There's no point in that. I really... I watch actors perform who are amazing and I come away and I just feel totally enriched by it mm. and, uh, and and long way that can continue that's a really powerful way of, of relating that information because mm. you could very easily come away and be bitter and twisted about it yeah <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think I don't think I would get you know I'm early 50s now 54 I don't think I would get to here with that attitude yeah here, here. I don't think I would ever have got to this place in my life if I watch people in my profession and got angry and bitter and jealous about how they got there yeah that would that would really eat me or yeah. eat me from the inside yeah. and I have to say that a lot of actors who are my age are successful actors they don't do that either mm-hmm. and also the other thing is come back full circle when you're busy you don't have time to do that yeah no. because you know the other thing for me is be here now yeah so you know I'll go and see a play it will be wonderful. The chances are I'm probably in a play or a film myself. Mm. So I think, great, and I'll take that energy back into my job. Mm. I will yeah. take it and go, this is what I need to do. You know, and yeah. This is different. So I, I read this thing last night, or I saw this thing, or I listened to this piece of music. Let's play about with this today. That's where I take everything from. If I'm, on a, if I'm sort of in a place on my own where I'm not working and nobody's employing me and I'm watching plays, then maybe, <laughs> yeah, then I do get bitter yeah. and twisted. But if I'm busy, yeah. then I take what I'm seeing and enlivened by and enriched by and sort of, uh, you know, sort of inspired by. Yeah. And I bring that to my life, you know, and that's, that's, I'm able to do that because I'm busy. Yeah. Um, so obviously, talking about blank moments on this podcast, have you had any particularly sort of blank moments on stage or on set that, that, that have stayed with you and have you learned anything from those moments yeah I mean I've dried on stage which is really horrible and I was doing a play at the Almeida which was a very dense uh, American play and it was a very repetitive play and it was myself and a, uh, an actor called Steve McIntosh and we'd been doing it for a while and uh, one night we got into a sequence where we were relaying this story and we we jumped about five pages. 
Right. Oh, wow, that's quite yeah. a big yeah. because <laughs> because we repeat it later on, and we jumped it, and the, and and the two of us were looking at each other, asking ourselves the same question of like, how are we going to get back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are we going to get back to this thing? And that was I must have lost about four stone in that. <laughs> <laughs> And it was really difficult to have that. that so then you're, because uh, then what happens, of course, is then you jump out of character. Yeah. You're suddenly outside of the play watching yeah. it. You're suddenly outside of it thinking, <laughs> oh, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. So, and that's a very scary thing. Then. Yeah. And then the other thing you're doing with the other actors going, I hope he, if I give him <laughs> yeah. this, will he pick up <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Will he do? And yeah. we, we got through it, but that was really scary. Yeah. And I've had times when I've been on stage and just nothing's come. And that is really hard as well. And very often what happens to me, and I think this happens to many actors, is before I go on stage, sometimes I'll go over the first couple of lines, like maybe the first couple of pages of the scene. I'll start doing that. And I'll be in the wings and I'll go, and it'll, I can't remember a thing. And I'll be in the wings thinking, I can't remember it. I don't know what's going on. I don't, and so I have to trust that the minute I walk on, it'll come. Yeah. And I love it. That's a really scary. That's bold. It is. Yeah. It's a very, very sort of heady, ass clenching thing. But yeah. you have to do it. And many actors have that, I think, is that you just go, whilst you're outside of it, sometimes it just goes off your head. But once you're in it, it happens. And the worst thing that happens in long runs is things become automatic. That you just go bedum 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 bedum, and you know it. Mm. You get into such a rhythm. And what I like to do is change that rhythm. I will change it. I will mess about with it. I will, you know, suddenly give a line a different way, or give it fast or slow, or whatever. I, I, I'm very deeply suspicious of a play getting too much into its rhythm, rather because mm. you end up just playing the drum rather than giving the message. So to, things like that can really throw you. Um, I, guess I guess your actors you're playing opposite are doing, perhaps doing similar. You would hope. As well, yeah. You would hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, that's been my experience. But sometimes, you know, you'll see an actor getting into a rhythm, and you'll you you might have a word with them afterwards. Yeah. Because uh, it is, you know, all those cliches are true. But you know, acting is about listening. It's about reacting. So that's important for me. Uh, yeah, but I have had blank moments in on stage. And I guess it's different on set. On set, it's different. The worst thing on set is when you you constantly have a blank, and you know somebody can tell you the line, but it's just not going in. And there's various reasons for that. Sometimes it'll be about time. You know, it's five to seven in the evening. Everybody wants to get home, and you've yeah. got a three-page speech. The worst thing for any actor on a film set is to come into a production that's been going for a while where everybody knows each other you know all right Tommy you know all right Claire how's it going you know all mm. that mm. you come on you've got one afternoon they've been doing it for the last two months you've got one afternoon you're, you're the last scene of the day and you've got a speech mm. no one knows who you are yeah. and you come on and you've just got that or you might even have one line and that is the most arse clenching time of this week because you're not in the rhythm with everybody yeah. else you're there everybody's watching you that's the hardest job I think for any actor and to you've do. had that I've had that but mm. I've also seen it in front of me you know I've seen people do it and, and, and directors get impatient and sort of you know cameramen start go oh, you know and you're like, hey 
this is the hardest thing. Yeah. Mm. It's the hardest job ever to come in yeah. and do this. And uh, I've seen that, and I've had that myself. I did it, God, I did it with um, Robin Williams and John Turturro. Wow. I was doing a film with them called Being Human. Yeah. And I had to come in, and it was quite a big speech, and they were m messing about. I got there for seven in the morning. I eventually got on set for about 6.30 in the evening. They were rapping at seven, and I had a massive speech to John Turturro and Robin Williams. Robin Williams was being Robin Williams, you know, yeah. hilarious, running around, doing cartwheels, very funny. And I was trying to think, God, I wish he'd shut up because I've got to get these lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was I've fun. been hanging around for that. Yeah, he was, he was wonderful. <laughs> and he was doing it all out of yeah. generosity to us to make us feel welcome. Yeah. Turturro, very focused, very sort of in it, you know, mm. not a lot of hello, goodbye with him, just straight in there. And they said action, and it just, it was like tumbleweed. Oh, just went God. through my head. And they both saw it. And we did it and we did it and did it. And eventually I was like, we got there. But I, I on the way back in the car, I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this job. I just, I, if I can't do that, mm. what's going on? And it took me years to be kind to myself about that moment mm. because it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I did something recently. I was on, I did Good Omens. And again, I had one day on it and it was a big speech. And, you know, it was hard. It was really difficult. So, whereas on Britannia, which I've been doing for months, mm. they would give me the pages sometimes in the morning and I go, yep, know what I'm doing here. And, you know, mess about with it a bit. But it was really difficult. So that's the hard thing. And I guess that doesn't always change no matter how old you get or experience. It actually gets worse, I think. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think it does get worse because you're sort of, you're supposed to be able to do it. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're bringing that with you, and then and you turn around and go, "Oh, I'm really gosh. pleased we've got David Martin's <laughs> yeah, yeah. experience." Yeah. Be like, be straight he'll in. be fine. Look, yeah. Just, right. just give him two minutes at the end of yeah. the day; he'll knock yeah. out the park. He prefers <laughs> it, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Three he days later, to hang around for about eight or nine. Three hours days later, <laughs> there's a great outtake of um, Charles Launton on uh, Spartacus when he had this speech, and I think he's playing Cicero or something, and he just couldn't do it. And, it, and it's so painful to watch him sort of eat himself and sort of kill himself with this insecurity of not being a, and he's in this it's a bit like doing theatre for him because he's in the middle of this coliseum with all these people around yeah. him, all these extras watching him yeah. and he can't do it and it's just really painful yeah. um, so we always like to end the pod um, by getting our guests to just give their advice for anyone listening who goes through blank moments either creatively or in their life or whatever. We, we, we hope lots of creative people listen to this, but maybe lots of other people as well. Do you have any advice for anyone that might be sort of having blank moments? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, obviously that writer's maxim, which is don't get it right, get it written. I think yeah. there's something in that for all of us that, you know, as an actor, it's about just performing, just getting up there, either if it's amateur, reading. I Now what I would do, and I say to young actors, look, Get your mates, get a play, get your mates around, read it, film it, uh, cast it. You know, if you're all if you're all early twenties, get a play where you're supposed to be old men and do it. Get a play where you're supposed to be women and do it. You know, mess about. Yeah. Learn it. Do your discipline yourself. But don't sit around going, Nobody's employing me. Let that look after itself. And therefore, when you do get the interview, you've got, you've got something to talk about. When they say, what have you been doing lately? You don't say, I've just been not, nothing. You say, well, me and my mate, I've been doing that. Get, get it, film, film it on your phone. Mm. Make your own film. Write your own film. But do it. Perform. 
certainly that thing with getting your mates together and reading plays and learning lines. You know, your mind is a muscle in a way in that sense that you have to sort of exercise it to learn lines, learn speeches. Uh, that's what I would say. I'd say see as much as you can. See as much as you can and write about it. Write what you like about it, what you don't like about it. Write what you would do differently. Keep a, keep a book of what you're seeing, both film, television, you know, theater. What is it? There's certain actors that you all watch that everybody loves and you hate. Why do you hate them? Yeah. What do they do that you don't like? What are you not responding to? There's certain actors that everybody hates and you love them. Why? Why? Find out what's good for you. And, and, and really, you know, do it. Do it amongst your friends, with your friends. And receive criticism. Listen to it. You don't have to believe it, but you have to listen to it. And that's exercising yourself. I, uh, and, and, and I would say a blank space as an actor or a magician or anything else is your choice. I'm not talking about writer's block. That's different. But a blank space is your choice. If you can make things happen, make them happen. You, there's no reason that you haven't got anything to happen. And, you know, and also the other great thing about being an actor is you're playing people. Go and meet people. Get out. Do work. Do charity work. Go to a bar. Do whatever. Meet them. Characters. Make them up. Uh, you know. Meet them. Take notes about them. You know. You might get a boss who's a complete arsehole. Write out why he's an arsehole, mm. and then find out what what's going on in his life. Do that. Create a log of characters. If you're going to be an actor, you're going to play many, many people. So you'll only meet people in the world. Step into the world. Don't stay in your room. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We can't finish the podcast without talking quickly about one of your other loves, which is Liverpool. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously we're both football fans. That's how we met. We yeah. support Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, I, did I read somewhere that you're the voice? I'm the, the voice guide. of Am- I'm the voice of Anfield. So, yeah. you, so <laughs> when you go on the stadium tour of Anfield, it's me going, here you are at the boot room. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's me. Yeah, so it's yeah. great. And I was there recently at the Napoli game. Yeah, so that was a very exciting evening. You're having a very good season. And I was yeah. at Palace when uh, no, Brendan Rodgers, when we came second that season. Oh, with the 3-3. <gasps> and we went three up. And it was me and John Bishop. So we went. And we got in Wish there. Wish you hadn't gone. And it, well, but the first half was great, and everybody was really nice to us. And they were saying, we hope you win, you know, da, da, da. And then when we collapsed in the second half, the vitriol we got. Friend, I have to say, very friendly vitriol, but it was like, oh, God. So it was awful. But yeah, no. So Palace have nicknamed that game, haven't we? Cristambul. Cristambul. Oh, <laughs> how lovely. Yeah. So we, I remember... I quite like playing Liverpool, actually. I mean, never used we, to. We yeah. went through a phase of being uh, your bogey team for a you little did, bit. You did, you did. We've exited that phase. Yeah. Well, you have, <laughs> our old, you have our old manager. So we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not very popular with Liverpool fans, He's is he? He's not, no. no. Why? More popular in the South. I like that, but I do find his interviews after the match highly entertaining. A pissed off Roger is one yeah, of the yeah, greatest things I've ever yeah. seen. Well, Jim, um, funny enough, pissed him off this I week. I annoyed him week. on Saturday. Why? Yeah, I do press work sometimes as well right. on Saturdays. Not. I asked what I thought was a very straightforward question about a reaction to the previous game. Didn't like it. Yeah. Didn't like it. <laughs> well, his, his, inter- his, inter- his interview with Ian Abrahams on, uh, on TalkSport from last week is just classic. Okay. Is it? Yeah, just classic. Yeah, he wasn't in a good mood. Yeah. So, but I like the fact that you see it. You know, that they, he, he, he gets it. So, well, um, yeah, everyone thinks he's sort of just a, a nice guy. But, I mean, he, he is a, he nice, is guy, a but, nice guy, <laughs> but obviously, there's a bit of something about him. There's an edge. But no, Liverpool. Uh, you know, that's my passion, and yeah. and I share it with my other son, which is just a great part of communication for me. You know, it's really 
brilliant to have the same posters on my wall that, that he has, you know. And uh, and and we're playing well. And I love Klopp. Yeah. I love the enthusiasm. I love the fact that he's so sort of passionate about it. I love the team he's assembled. I love yeah. the style of football. Yeah. I mean, it's quite heart attack football at times. Yeah. Yeah. But I love it, you know. And uh, and do you get to go to many games? Yeah, I get. Well, I get to about five or six a season. Yeah. You know? Probably a bit more than that. Um, That's the best way to put. I went to Kiev, which was awful. Just really (laughs) awful. I mean, it was a great weekend, but it was also just a terrible match. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I do follow them through thick and thin. Yeah, but it's looking quite thick at the moment. (laughs) I think you're doing all right. Yeah, Yeah. could be could be a very good season for you guys. Well, fingers crossed. I think City are a phenomenal side. Yeah, and uh, I was just pleased to get to the last sixteen and top of the league at the moment. So yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, good. Well, David, David Morrissey. Morrissey. Oh, oh, join, enjoying that. That's, 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 that's how in tune we are. We do it, we do it in stereo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, fantastic. Thanks. Thank you, so, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us yeah, on the thanks. Blank Podcast. No, thanks for asking me. That was David Morrissey there, the voice of Anfield. The voice of Anfield. He's going, he's, I was going to say his claim to fame, but I think he's done a few he's other things. A few well. things slightly, <laughs> yeah. slightly more yeah. impressive than that. Um, yeah, what a fantastic podcast. I mean, David was just brilliant, yeah. you know, really candid again. I know I keep saying this every week about yeah. the candid thing. It's my sort of go-to word, but, but they was, are. Yeah, super honest and candid. And, and the stuff about kind of moving out on his own when he was like 16, 15, 16, was just incredible, mm. like thinking you would make that brave step at such a young age and acting was the thing he wanted to do. I just thought it was, yeah, was, yeah, it was truly it's quite inspiring. Yeah, really, actually. Inspiring. I think yeah, we yeah. can all, no matter what age you are, you can, you can own, relate to that. And the fact that he is someone whose career keeps getting, you know, better and better and better. And he's, he's still doing massive shows yeah. and he's, he's still and as, as and relevant as, as ever about it as, ever, yeah. you know, and again, you know, about theater film or whatever it might be. But, and I, I was really intrigued by the stuff about, he's talking about the theater, and having a family unit that he kind of created in with each time he did a production and how you sort of move from one to another yeah. in your family and that kind of made sense with the stuff he was saying when he left home at a very young age that you know that actually that that his his acting had sort of filled a gap there yeah so that yeah that was really 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 poignant. well thank you very much david for, for joining us yeah, on the pod great great to have you on absolute top man uh, if you enjoy the blank pods please get in contact with us on social media and Share links to our pods. We really appreciate that. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And the link, or the handle, is the same for all three. It's at blankpod. And if you want to send us an email and let us know your own blank moments or what you're enjoying from the podcast or who you'd like to see on in future episodes, we would love to get an email from you. And our email address is... Hello at theblankpodcast.com. Oh, that was said in a very nice radio voice really? there. That was okay. almost David Morrissey-esque. <laughs> Never as good as David. Um, and please, uh, if you're enjoying the pods, please subscribe to them. If you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate that. And rate us as well on iTunes or whatever app you're on. Uh, we'd very much love you forever for doing that. So that's it. Next week, we've got another guest uh, next Wednesday as well. So uh, keep an eye out for that because it's going to be a good one because they all are good ones. Um, and in the meantime, have a wonderful week and we'll see you again very soon.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Thank you.